California camp cruise, weddings NYC, Shadow Lake, Snow, Shipwreck, RV, and Ski, Hawaii, Burger Garden, Papers, Beer, Bad Barbie, it's a Babysitter's Club Super Special. Welcome to Second Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Super Special 5, California Girls. And we are super excited to have two guests with us today, the editors of the new book of essays, We Are the Babysitter's Club, essays and artwork from grown-up readers, Megan Milks and Marissa Crawford. Woohoo! Marissa's writing about feminism, art and pop culture has appeared in The Nation, Harper's Bazaar, Bust, Vice, Happer Allergic, Bitch, Ms. The Rumpus, and elsewhere. She's the author of the poetry collection Reversible and The Haunted House from Switchbook Books and the creator and editor-in-chief of Weird Sister, a website and organization that explores the intersections of feminism, literature, and pop culture. Marissa is also the co-host of another 90s nostalgia podcast, All Our Pretty Songs, where she and her co-host dish on and appreciate the 90s rock canon. Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Megan is a fiction writer, cultural critic, and scholar. Their stories have been included in three anthologies of innovative writing, as well as many journals. Two have been adapted for performance. Megan's fiction explores queer and trans adolescence, massive and or ugly feelings, and the tensions between form and voice, while their nonfiction spans topics like contemporary art and literature, transgender, queer, feminist and disability studies, asexuality studies, and critical psychiatry. Megan's first novel, Margaret and the Mystery of the Missing Body, is forthcoming in fall 2021 from Feminist Press and is one of four books they are publishing this year. Wow, incredible. Uh, congratulations to you both and welcome, Marissa and Megan. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, so happy to be here. Thanks so much. We're super excited to have you as soon as we saw the book coming out. Our, well, I think mine and Anne's first reaction is, damn, we should have come up with that book, but then also excited. <laughs> <laughs> also, so, no offense, you couldn't have. <laughs> no, it's true. It's yeah. very true. So welcome, you two. Uh, at the beginning of every podcast, we each give a one-sentence summary of the book from our own perspective. So we're going to get into that right away because we have a lot to talk about today. So mine... My summary of California Girls is readers learn all about the specific joys of Southern California capitalism, and every babysitter (laughs) learns a special lesson. So, very descriptive. Thank you very much. (laughs) What about you, Em? Mine is not very descriptive, as in keeping with character. My summary is Claudia meets a Stalinite? Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. The best part about these one-sentence t- summaries is Esme always has a really good one. <laughs> so so ours don't have to be very good. That is the best part. <laughs> right, right? <laughs> All right, what is yours, Anne? Mine is, this book reminded me to buy, reminded me to buy a scratcher, which <laughs> I, actually, I actually bought one this morning, and I didn't win anything. So mm-hmm. sorry, guys. I can't <laughs> take everyone. I can't take everyone on a trip and like. I know we could have all gone to Universal Studios. Yeah, um, and like, and then babysat a bunch of kids while we're on vacation right. again. Oh, yeah. The dream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, how about you? Okay, I took this assignment very seriously. So. I love it. <laughs> Here we go. The BSC members give new meaning to the improbable slang term "distant" <laughs> with a trip to California where they enjoy makeovers, surfing, freeway accidents, amusement parks, TV studios, new love, at least three major shopping malls, and a variety of huge meals prepared 
by a Mrs. Bruin, whose similarity to Nancy Drew's housekeeper, Mrs. Gruen, goes strangely unnoticed by our resident Carolyn Keene expert, Claudia. Oh, man. (laughs) You're going to get me fired, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) All this much better than yours. You should probably take over the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. All right, Marissa, I'm sorry you have to follow that. I should have called on you first, but go ahead. (laughs) Mine is vacation is for working even when you're 12. P.S. Stay away from surfers and love the hair God gave you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Amazing. Okay. It's that time always where I cannot not laugh. We should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. So you can't do it. I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I am Marissa Crawford. I'm a poet, cultural critic, and co-editor of We Are the Babysitters Club. And I'm Megan Milks. I'm a writer and teacher. I'm level-headed and independent, and I have a lot of books. And I'm also a co-editor, the other co-editor of We Are the Babysitters Club. Woohoo! Okay, so Welcome. Glad to have you on board. Big Mallory signifier. <laughs> Interested in what you what you think about her journey in this book. We'll get into it. Um, if you want to learn more about us and how we all know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, please rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, you can drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Great. So before we get into discussing this very... Um, this great piece of literature. <laughs> Want to get to know the two of you a little better. So let's start off with the obvious. Tell us when you first started reading the BSC books and what made you fall in love with them. So Megan, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I was, um, I think I was eight or nine. Um, hard to say when I uh, found the Babysitter's Club books in my public library and I was an immediate fan. Um, I think I think I just responded to the characters who were extremely relatable. They were kids. They were also doing these independent, responsible things, making their own club. They were kids in action. I think I was too young and too suburban to really access, um, you know, Riot Girl, Zine Culture, um, these things mm-hmm. that were kind of in the air. So the BSC was like my entry into the DIY spirit of the 90s arguably. Um, and it has been a great model for the kinds of collaborative friendships that I've, I've been pursuing really throughout my life, including with Marissa and, and this book. Yeah, I would say like, yeah, similar. I think I probably started reading them in like, I want to say like first or second grade, like when I was probably like eight or so, eight or nine. Um, and I think I probably also found one in my public library and just became quickly obsessed. Um, (laughs) I feel like what made me fall in love with them, um, you know, I definitely thought they were really cool. The the characters are really cool and like wanted to be friends with them. And I would also like just echo what Megan was saying about the friendships. Like, I think it was I think it was really it felt incredibly satisfying to read this depiction of this like bulletproof model of female friendship um, Mm. that I think I spent a lot of my childhood um, and even my adulthood seeking out those kinds of close-knit, supportive, like 
group friendships. And I think that it was just really like, I, that was very, um, yeah, just satisfying to read about that in the babysitters club books. I'm interested in hearing, I read both of your essays, um, in the book and you, both of you talk about the characters that you kind of most relate to and also the characters that you kind of are more aspirational for the both of you. So let's talk about that and let's get into your favorite characters. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely a Christy, though I didn't want to be. Um, Same. I like... yeah. <laughs> Wait, scandal. Esme loves being a Christy so hard. Now I do, but I didn't as a kid. I, I like harshly identified with Marianne. I was like very much in my Christy denial. Fine, fine. <laughs> Yeah, hard same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was as a kid, I was like very bossy and and immature. I was kind of a loudmouth. I was overconfident. I was like, you know, I was a Christie. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of that changed when I hit puberty and I kind of like withdrew into myself. So part of what I really relate to about Christy and which is really the focus of my essay for the book is um you know, her anxiety is about being like left behind by her friends as they like coast into normative cis heterosexual maturity. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, um, especially Marianne, whose relationship with Logan really threatens like her friendship with, with her, at least at first. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so yeah, but yeah, like as me, I'm totally, totally team Christy at this point. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Christy's pretty awesome. Like I think as a, as an adult, um, I'm extremely team Christy as well. Um, as a, as a young reader, I definitely, um, like strive to be, as I write about in my, so the essay I wrote is called, I want to be a Claudia, but I know I'm a Stacy. Um, and I really strive to be like Claudia. I really, I thought she was like, so cool. I loved her fashion, obviously, and her, um, kind of artistic sensibility and just like her bravery. Like she just felt like really bold to me. Um, but I also really identified with Stacy. Um, like my parents were divorced and I moved from New York to Connecticut and I had like asthma as a kid and kind of saw myself in her like different struggles around like childhood mm-hmm. illness and family stuff and just um, like feeling kind of, I don't know, I felt like I, I found, I feel like Stacy often felt kind of like lonely or sad to me. Um, and yeah. so I, or maybe I projected that onto her as a kid, but I always kind of identified with her the most, I think. She has like a little bit of a weariness. Um, totally. That's a way of putting it. Yeah. She's kind of separate. You know, she's, she's an only child, but she's separated in this way. She doesn't have the consistent closeness that like Marianne has in Christy and then also in Dawn later. And she's got this shuttling back and forth. So I can see that. I can see where there's that, that sad and lonely kind of filter. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, even in the, even in this book too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has to, Head for the waves. Yeah. <laughs> um, Megan, I have a question for you. So in your essay, you you talk about how Logan is perhaps the most aspirational character for you. And we spend a lot of time, well, not a lot, a portion of our time talking about how much Logan sucks. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Emily trashes Logan basically every other yeah, episode I mean, of the podcast. She's she's a decided Logan enemy. I'm a Logan <laughs> apologist, so we can still get along, Megan. Um, no, it's just you kind of said it towards the end of her essay, and it was kind of 
you, you went into some explanation about that, but I'd love to hear more like your thoughts on that and um, why you why you think Logan is aspirational for you. <laughs> okay, great question. And now I kind of want to backpedal a little bit from my claim. But uh, I mean, my memory of Logan <laughs> is maybe more more aspirational. I mean, I I remember him as like a you know a, like a sensitive a sensitive dude, a sensitive caring mm-hmm. dude. Um, who's like really there for Marianne a lot of a lot of the time mm-hmm. and uh you know does a lot of I mean he's a babysitter yeah he does um, reproductive labor <laughs> totally yeah, yeah yeah um and uh you know uh Marissa and I recently reread Logan uh likes Marianne mm-hmm. um for a different podcast and we we got into some of the ways in which Logan um is kind of a a jerk. Um, <laughs> so, so yes, <laughs> I have a more complicated view than just that. But, um, but I do. Yeah, I think like as one of the only kind of one of the only uh, boys in the in the book series that gets a lot of page mm-hmm. yeah. pages. Um, he's like he's a pretty decent model for mm-hmm. you know young masculinity. Oh, you could do a lot worse. <laughs> yeah i think that's very fair a lot of my like bullshit with logan is around the that book specifically i think mean, i was like wow he's fucking gaslighting marianne no it's the it's the book where tigger goes missing yeah marianne uh, the, the search, search for tigger, for tigger. really yes. really soured you on him yeah it really really did but i totally take that point that, like he's doing non you know non-traditionally masculine reproductive work and like he he does go to a babysitter's club meeting once. <laughs> <laughs> Until they talk about bras and then he and then he's flees. like, he's, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and in part, like, one of the things I find so hard about Bart, Bart Taylor probably is his absence. <laughs> God. Tell all the... Yeah. What did he write to Christy? Tell all the pretty girls in California Bart Taylor says what's up. Yeah. But, but also, like, JK, love you. Come on. That's a great yeah. joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This is a Bart Taylor stand cast. Marissa and Megan, if you didn't know, this is really, it's really central to Emily's. Like Logan's bad, Bart Taylor's perfect. So we'll oh we'll see what god. happens as the series progresses. <laughs> Love it. But back to your book, we are the Babysitters Club. It, it releases on July sixth. So by the time this podcast is out, everyone should go out and buy this book because it's really great. So I want to know more about how you guys came upon the idea to. Um, edit this book and were you guys friends before or did you meet through this process yeah so so megan i feel like we met um at a at a writing conference like years ago um i feel like we were at a reading in a hotel room where we both read um from like chat books about um like 90s girl cultures um so we kind of met through that and became friends and um and then for this project um you know we we've like been in touch about literary stuff over the years but um but this project kind of came about because i guess you know just growing up with the series and then kind of over the last like 10 years or so um 
you know, we started seeing, and I'm sure you all have also seen, like, just a lot of uh, media being created by adults who grew up reading the Babysitter's Club books. Um, totally. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like blogs, um, obviously podcasts, uh, cartoon, like comics, uh, documentary, like um, documentaries. So, and we were just really excited to see all of this pro- proliferation of like fan media being created about the Babysitter's Club and just started thinking like, um, you know, it would be so cool to make a book dedicated to this because there's so much to think about in relation to the series that so many of us um, in our generation just grew up reading these books and they had such a huge influence on us. So um, being that it's the 35th anniversary of the uh, publication of Christie's Great Idea this year, um, we just thought, you know, it would be really cool to make an anthology dedicated to um, to the Babysitter's Club. So I kind of had that idea and I was like, who else would want to work on this? So of course I thought of Megan immediately um, and then kind of just took off from there. <laughs> yeah. I'm also interested in how you um, found the contributors and writers and artists for this book. Um, is it something you had to seek out? Um, was it just kind of you knew certain people were into the Babysitter's Club because you have such a good um, representation across different types of creatives? Um, and also, how did, did you kind of prompt the contributors with ideas or were these like ideas that came up on their own? It was like a combination of all of that, really. Um, I mean, we've both been um, uh, kind of just like keeping tabs on. BSC related art and writing that we've seen. And so we, um, for example, Kim Hunt Mayhew's like, uh, what, uh, what Claudia wore. Yeah. Her classic. Amazing. So yeah, so <laughs> there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, content already. And so we made sure to get in touch with a lot of those create uh, creators um, and invited them to be part of the um, book. We also did solicitations of some of our favorite writers who we felt like um, either we knew loved the BSC or um, uh, we knew wrote on like feminism and pop culture or other things that were adjacent to the BSC. And we're just kind of like hoping that they might have a connection mm-hmm. to the series. And then we also did um, an open call um, seeking out um, contributors um, and uh, yeah, am I forgetting anything, Marissa? No, I think that's everything. Yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, the open call, like we kind of tried to fill some holes for um, specific subject matter that we wanted to make sure we touched on in the book um, that maybe we hadn't gotten to yet. So yeah, it was kind of a, um, all those different pieces of the process. That's really cool. I think that was one of my favorite things about the book is just, as Anne said, like how wide ranging and not just, you know, the fact that there is is our art and cartoons and, (laughs) you know, as well as essays and the types of essays are very different. And it's just, um, you get a lot of different things. I think often when you buy an anthology, it has, my experiences in anthologies are more like one flavor, but you have like all the different kinds of junk food that Claudia has hidden in her room um, (laughs) represented across the different pieces. So that was really fun. Like to, it just felt like jumping into something really different, like maybe listening to like freeform college radio or something. It wasn't just kind of one note. 
Awesome. She says, as someone who works in college radio. <laughs> well, yeah, it's going to be my analogy. What do you want me to do? <laughs> uh, I love the Claudia's room metaphor. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> we need that as a blurb now. Very apt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> happy, happy to write it down for you. <laughs> Should we move on to California girls? There's a lot to say about right. California girls. So usually, uh, Megan Marissa, we do like loosely structured quote-unquote segments (laughs) but I think for this episode we'd like to begin our sort of discussion with the book by asking you all what you thought what jumped out at you what you thought was interesting troubling horrifying amazing (laughs) what what did you walk away with this book from or what did you walk away from this book with rather (laughs) well I just I just really loved this book I mean I thought it was so fun and uh I loved uh having um you know getting access to like all of the sitters voices uh rotating and um it's been a while since i've read a a special one of the super specials Mm -hmm. um so this is a fun um treat um i think one of the things that stuck out to me was just how um the mallory's makeover subplot Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just really struck by how hostile <laughs> the BSC members were to Mallory, who was just trying something new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, I was thinking of um, Kim Hutmayahu's uh, essay from our book, which touches on that a little bit in relation to Mary Ann's makeover, mm-hmm. where the the club members are also really just like Marianne, what it, no no you can't do that <laughs> yeah um mm-hmm. th- just this like real reluctance to allow for you know personal style evolution yeah or mm-hmm. remaking of oneself right like there's something yeah. like sort of quintessentially wrong about that yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. right and she's yeah. eleven. So, you know, God forbid none of us change from the time we're 11 until forever, you know? Like, what's oh, wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait, was that a dig at Esme or, or a self-deprecating? A <laughs> self-deprecating, because I have the same haircut. <laughs> I was like eight. She do. She do. Yeah. No, I totally... That struck me as well, because on the one hand, you want to... We, you know, Don's like, be yourself. And you're like, yeah, of course, be yourself. But also, like, dyeing your hair blonde is not not being yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and those are two different characters, right? Like, Don is saying being yourself to Claudia, who's going on these dates and, like, changing her actual personality. But there's these two things that happen side by side, right? Like, Mallory's trying on a new look. And Claudia's like, no, this this person that i'm interested in is is like too smart for me so i'm gonna have to pretend to be someone else and the like response to both is the same Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well should we should we back up a second and just go over the general plot of the book (laughs) before we get too deep into it sure and keeps us honest (laughs) (laughs) so the quote-unquote plot is that claudia um buys a a lottery ticket Every week, apparently, <laughs> or her dad buys it for her. <laughs> Incredible. Which can <laughs> did you uh, like? Just growing up, knowing your family, I was like, oh, I guess this is a Japanese American thing because Anne's parents love to gamble. And I like, yeah. is it like, did that? Were you like, of course, it's, Claudia's dad buys lottery ticket every week? Yeah, that didn't seem unusual to me. Let's just say that. <laughs> At least in my Japanese American family, that was very common. Yeah, it was like 
Anne's turning nine. That's by her scratchers. Like, yeah. seriously, that was <laughs> yeah. like what came in my birthday card. Yeah. Partly <laughs> from like my grandma. Amazing. <laughs> so they don't win the, they don't win the like $23 million, but they win. How much is it? 10,000? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not a scratcher. It's like the fucking big lottery. Oh, it's the actual it's like lottery. The, yeah, yeah, it's lotto. They're waiting for the numbers. Yeah, so they get six. They don't get the Powerball. So yeah. they get like six numbers, right? And they win this money and they decide to go on a vac- vacation to California with it and stay with Don's dad. And then each babysitter has their own little subplot. So yeah. let's go down those really quick. As we do want to oh, start God. with Christy. Just one sentence summary of each of their subplots, please. Okay. Christy thinks that she knows everything about babysitting and the We Love Kids Club people are unprofessional and disorganized. So she takes on their hardest kids and for some reason decides to bring them to Universal Studios and they're jerks and she realizes she doesn't know everything. Wow. Yes. It's a very long uh, sentence, Mary- but okay. <laughs> uh, Marianne, I guess she babysits. They're- Why are they babysitting on vacation? It's so annoying. <laughs> because it's 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 a nail the one sentence yeah. summary, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, <it's> seriously. <laughs> so basically, Marianne... This is capitalism, man. You work on vacation, otherwise it's not a vacation. <laughs> I know. Uh, Marianne babysits uh, a girl who reminds her of herself, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we she- get to learn about asthma. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which... Marissa, you said you had asthma, correct? Yeah. So you can be our little fact checker with all these asthma facts. Okay. I was surprised that she had to take a pill after. Is that yeah, the pill was weird? I mean, yeah. I guess it could have like I was trying to figure out the pill. Like the pill could either be like well, it could be like an I guess it's not an allergy pill. Like, is it like a steroid? Is she taking like prednisone? Like, I feel like you would only take that if like that's what I was. You were thinking. having like a pretty bad asthma attack, and you did it, and you took yeah. your inhaler, and it like didn't help. Mm-hmm. Like you don't usually just like pop a pill. <laughs> like, but what? Right. What was the like normal procedure in night? When did this book come out? Nineteen ninety. Yeah, nineteen ninety. Yeah, that seemed excessive to me as well. And I don't have asthma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So S- Stacy decides to become a surfer. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because the books prior to this, she can barely like walk because she's so tired. Right, right, because we're still foreshadowing Stacy's emergency. Right, yeah, and she gets into a car accident. I mean, yeah, I got a lot to say about Stacy's yeah, cool I, older yeah. friends. Yeah, and then Claudia meets a boy who is very smart and sophisticated, and she is feels bad about herself, and then accidentally orders escargot at a French <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> it's like whatever. It's just garlic. It's not that bad. And then Don, who wants to take Don. Oh, Don hates her dad's girlfriend and acts like a bitch and then has a, a like awakening where she's like, oh, no, I was being too harsh. And then they reconcile. Jesse might want to become an actress. I found this very random. Oh, it's no, just the but, same but plot of, the as Jesse and the yeah. Superbrat. The exact same plot. Exact same oh. Oh, yeah. oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and then Mallory has her makeover. So this, but then they all- also do like... Uh, they go to Knott's Berry Farm and they go to Medieval Times and they go to Universal Studios and they go find stars homes and they go to the Max Factor Museum of Beauty and they go to, like Megan said, they go to a bunch of malls. I felt bad for Carol and Mr. Schaefer having to drive them everywhere. I mean, to be clear, Mr. Schaefer did not do anything. Mr. Schaefer did just scoff in the rear view yeah. the one time he drove them anywhere. 
Marissa, correct. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Shepard's like, bye, I gotta go to work. Hi, new girlfriend I've just been dating for a year. Please escort my child who lives across the country and all of her seven adolescent friends around the entire Southern California region, not just Los Angeles, like Burbank, Hollywood, the whole thing, and like, have fun. Like, what the fuck does Carol get out of this? <laughs> she, yeah, she's, like, not even, like, spending the night. No! She comes over, like, every morning. Oh, yeah. my God, you're right. What is her, yeah, what is her story, profession? Megan. Isn't she, like, an artist? So she yes, has flexible she's hours? Or she's a painter. That's right. The life she, of an artist. Yeah. She's also and 32. She, and she watches MTV. That's what we know about her. Yeah. I mean, I guess as a 32-year-old person who does not have an nine to five if i was dating a man nope never mind nope <laughs> i retract you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be dating somebody with a 13 year old and a 10 year old right now emily you don't think uh uh-uh. no <laughs> well i mean but if i was i guess if I you were you would to- totally do this yeah would i would totally do that that's where i was gonna go with that yeah. and i was like uh would i do that i don't know <laughs> you t- yeah that yeah. was like she totally of- would you guys like yeah, yeah no i was just thinking about that like can you imagine like if the person you're dating asked you to do this. <laughs> no, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. It is Poor hard Carol. To but I, I want to back Megan up though, that this is a very fun book. Like just fun. to highlight, I, I think that this is, this is an improvement. This is like super special one, but better. Right. So in babysitters on board, we were like, what is happening? Why are they all acting so weird? But it was also like, it had this like Mr. Rogers quality of like, let's tell you what it's like to go on a cruise and go to Walt Disney World. And this mm-hmm. has that same like, let me tell you what it would be like if you went to Universal Studios kind of um, action in it. But I think the character development is more standard BSC and the there is more plot actually than mm-hmm. there was in Babysitters on Board. But it's still very fun. Like I remember reading this one as a kid and being like, oh, my God, if I could go to L.A. with all my close friends, even though I grew up in Northern California. Like it, it still seemed so. It would be fun so and fun. exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's so That's fun. Right. What I really wanted the book to be was for them to go to Disneyland and then talk about how much better Disneyland is. But that didn't happen. Of course, <laughs> it didn't happen. Um. So, Esme, did you want to get into your psychology stuff? Sure. Yeah. I there. I mean, there was a lot in this book actually, and there was a lot about adolescence more broadly that I think we haven't seen as much in the other books. We we see more like typical child development stuff, but a little bit less about teen development. So Marissa and Megan, um, one of my like professional and personal pet peeves as somebody who loves teenagers and works with and studies teenagers is this sort of American cultural idea, really Western cultural idea that all teenagers are mentally ill and problematic in multiple ways and that like part of the definition of adolescence is that you suffer and you cause trouble for the adults in your life for a few years and then you get to be a real human again um which is not something that is borne out by the data and is something that really um makes me mad how teenagers are kind of vilified in our society and it also stops teenagers who are having a legitimately hard time and are suffering emotionally from getting services lots of times. So many parents have told me, oh, I thought it was just, you know, it was just regular teen angst when their kid has really serious depression or really serious anxiety disorder or something like that. So I try to fight against that where I can. Um, And there's a, a great 
psychologist who studies adolescents and emerging adulthood, Jeffrey Arnett, who really looked at what are some of the myths that we have about adolescence and which one of which ones are partially true? Like what what does it actually mean to go through adolescence? And, you know, are we moodier? Do we take more risks? Like what actually stands up versus what is kind of a fictional cultural narrative about like a stereotypical teenager? So two things in this book really struck me about that. And one was uh, Mallory's kind of identity experimentation, as we already talked about. And I certainly don't know why the BSC got so angry at her. I think that will come up more when we get to Marianne's makeover, for sure. Um, but I also think while it's a very normative thing, the other thing that was in there that we didn't touch on yet was the kind of pushback with her parents. You know, so this idea that she's buying all this makeup and she's going to wear it in California because they're not going to know. And sort of while Mallory is the the practical level-headed one and usually doesn't do things to upset Mr. and Mrs. Pike, she's kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit through the makeover. I don't know if that part sort of stood out to anybody else. Yeah, I mean, it really comes out near the end, right? When she's like grappling with the consequences of her actions or like consequences in scare quotes, right, of her actions vis-a-vis the response of the BSC, right? Like the problem actually in the end is Mm -hmm. how do we fool the parents? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, it was really, yeah, it was interesting like how, yeah, like we were saying earlier, just like how the BSC like treated her around her makeover and um, how, like I I really, I don't, I haven't read like a Mallory book in a while. Mm -hmm. um, And I really liked see, I just like kind of loved Mallory in this book. And I was like Mm -hmm. here for her makeover. Like she was on vacation, (laughs) like amazing. (laughs) Dye your hair blonde. Like don't think that would actually work, but that's okay. Yeah. Like there's no blonde washout dye. (laughs) (laughs) Dark redhead. People with dark hair. Um, But yeah, it is interesting. Like the way it was kind of like vilified, like within the book and within like within her friend group. Yeah. And I'm also curious, like, what if she had gone home with the blonde hair and wearing the makeup, what would have happened with the Pikes? And that's, you know, like, our, probably it, nothing. They have one rule, <laughs> which I forget at the moment, but <laughs> lifeguard has to be a lifeguard when you go to the water. Has to be a lifeguard when you go to Sea City, New Jersey specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, she, she had this idea, though, and Jesse certainly had the idea that she's not allowed to do this, right? And so that like increased conflict with parents and kind of pushback around individuation is something that happens during adolescence. That's a real phenomenon. But it tends to happen around 13, 14 is when that's at its peak. And so 11 is a little early for that. You could argue Mallory's hanging out with these older girls. So maybe that's why it's coming a little early. But I sort of saw that as this um, kind of push and pull of where do I end? Where do my parents begin? You know, can I can I fight this? represented in Mallory. So that's one of the three things, one of our three cultural tropes that's actually true in terms of the adolescent experience. Another is that around 15, 16, there's an increase in moodiness. You know, our emotions get bigger, maybe uglier to paraphrase Megan's uh, introduction um, and, you know, have a little unevenness to them, a little dysregulation to them that, you know, sort of we all learn to manage as we go through that time. And then risk-taking increases but that usually happens between 17 and 19. So much later than Stacy McGill, age 13, surfing without any expertise and getting in cars with these older kids, B 
being wild on the freeway. <laughs> so but she's sophi- she's sophisticated. Remember, she's sophisticated. She's from New York City, so maybe a, a Manhattan thirteen is you know mm-hmm. like a Champaign, Illinois seventeen. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you you know, Megan and Marissa? What did you make of Stacy's risky behaviors in this book? I love. I just loved seeing her as a surfer. It was very hilarious. Uh-huh. Like my um, my partner is a surfer, and so it was just like I'm I'm weirdly Im- immersed in surf culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like yeah, just really funny. Like that she's like in the waves getting tubed. I mean, like she. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was it was a it was risky behavior. I guess um, I was scared for her. Like I was really nervous, but. Um, I guess it kind of like, it felt like everyone's arc in the book kind of like came back to this place of like, it's okay to be who you are and not take any risks. And I think like, I don't know, like the risks she was taking were definitely dangerous. But yeah, I wasn't sure what like the message was around like hanging out with these older kids who are surfers. Like, um, seems like they're just like, it's like, don't hang out with like older kids. kids. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think bad yeah. kids is, is you're right, Marissa. We see a lot of that in the books of like they're they're good kids and other kids are bad kids. Right. Yeah. Like even Mallory's like putting on makeup like it's like what even like like Jesse's supposed to be her best friend and she's like really like pissed that she's wearing makeup. Like usually I feel like your friend would be like I feel like there's like a lot of like moral ground being held by like mm-hmm. the other babysitters around these like kind of harmless i guess in stacy's case they're not that harmless but in mallory's it seems pretty harmless yeah mm-hmm. yeah stacy oh sorry what was i gonna say oh um <laughs> just that she like she's always the imperiled one she's mm-hmm. like, uh, and because she's like you know she's making choices and taking risks you know and she's like lived a life of having to manage you know her her um her, her body and her disability and um, mm-hmm. her diabetes. Yeah, I was really interested in um, the uh, the car accident as like the climax of of that. Um, yeah, when it used, we're all prepared for it to be like you know something related to her uh, diabetes, mm-hmm. like, um, and uh, and that doesn't happen. And also, it's not really part of her visit to the hospital. Like she mm-hmm. doesn't disclose um that and that was kind of interesting um but yeah as you were saying um there's a lot made out of like the lesson she learned from this which i was kind of confused by i mean i think it's like teenage boys behind the wheel are bad <laughs> but <the> lesson, <laughs> right. i'm not exactly. sure i agree with that lesson yeah <laughs> like stay I mean, home and babysit that's yeah. a statistically yeah. accurate <laughs> lesson <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean t- Yes, if we actually cared about who who causes problems on the road, to, well, the, you know, the driving age should not be 16 or 18. Just saying. I'm glad it was when I was 16, but that's, you know. Yeah, I also like how it was like, I'm an offensive driver. Yeah. It was like, so wow. good. Oh my God, that accident was bad. It was terrifying. It was. <laughs> really scaring. Yeah, it was very, it was really terrifying. Um. And that's also the catalyst for Dawn ultimately respecting Carol, right? Um, while she at first assumes that Carol will keep the secret, then she like sees, oh, she's not actually trying. She's she's just a nice person. She's not actually trying to be young. She's just being nice to us. And then also she knows how to adult. 
Yeah. But there is a way in which like really traditional forms of authority are upheld in like every dramatic turn, right? Oh, like, totally. Yeah. Which, yeah. I don't know. We don't know what Bo's deal is. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of ideas about what Bo's deal is, but <laughs> I don't think he's a bad <laughs> I don't think he's a bad kid to your point and to Marissa's well, right, point, right. I think. He's the but driver. I also am like Stacy, yeah, why Bo's are you the driver? Did- um, but I'm like, Stacey, why are you ditching your friends on multiple days to go surf on your own and with these random kids that, I don't know, mm. you won this vacation together. It didn't seem like it was a vacation to just go hang out with randos. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is it. kind of did their own thing, though, weirdly, which I think is like an interesting setup because the the setup for the whole book, right, is that they've won this thing together and they're going this trip together but from day one they're like oh i'll take a babysitting job like back to marissa's one sentence summary like i'll work on vacation (laughs) and they all like every day they all do different things which i'm like wait i that's not what you do on vacation with your friends when i mean i guess i never went on vacation with my friends when i was 13 so i don't know no (laughs) like seven of your friends (laughs) oh i was gonna say like thinking about stacy i mean i feel like you already touched on this um Megan but like yeah like I think it felt good to see her being a little reckless like in a way that wasn't like like I feel like when she's reckless around her diabetes it feels like really like just kind of like tortured but I Mm -hmm. feel like it's kind of felt good to see her like be like this like wild like surfer chick like she's like it was kind of like a fun role for her to be in I agree yeah no, I, I I totally love that part. And I think it, you know, it doesn't really line up with what we would see typically from most 13-year-olds. I think it was more like 15, 16-year-old behavior. And it was, you yeah. know, Stacy is sophisticated. So if one of them is going to act a little more 15, 16, it's going to be Stacy or Claude, right? So I think that it fits. Um, I'm just going to talk about Claudia. No, go talk about Claudia. <laughs> well, when you said that um, she, if anyone's going to act more mature, it immediately made me think of um, Claudia's several like date, like dinner dates at fancy restaurants, which I just thought was like LOL hilarious to imagine. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Harry wears a funny. suit to the French restaurant <laughs> and he speaks both Italian and French. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Wait, is he also 13? This is what I... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I just love the idea of picturing, like, going with my partner to a, like, fancy French restaurant on a date, and then there are these two 13-year-old Asian children off to the side ordering escargot (laughs) in a suit. It's, like, the best picture I've ever seen in my life. Like, who are they? Why are they there? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. It's so good. Well, maybe I'll take that as an opportunity to segue into my one observation, my primary (laughs) observation, sorry, not single observation (laughs) of this book, which is that Terry has many thoughts about what's going on in the Soviet Union, quote unquote. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I unfortunately had to read this on the Kindle because, um, I don't know, Esme sends me books and sometimes they don't get here on time. (laughs) So I don't know what page this is on. But in the chapter where they are at the French restaurant, they have a conversation where Claudia, I'm just going to read the dialogue. So Claudia says, so I said, as another waiter placed glasses of water in front of us, quote, what do you think about the situation in um, the Soviet Union? Glasnost was Terry's reply. Glasnost, what was that? 
Oh, yeah. Glassnosed, I said. Well, I'm not sure yet. I think the countries that are gaining their independence are going to be in for a rough time, don't you? Oh, definitely, I replied. Terry waited for me to go on, but of course I had nothing to say. Luckily, I was saved by Terry. Sidebar, what the fuck? Going on. Personally, I'm worried about the greenhouse effect. Terry was worried about problems with greenhouses? What could be wrong with greenhouses? Maybe I didn't have as much to be upset about as I thought. I, like, first of all, what the fuck are Terry's politics? And does he know anything at all? These are the questions I have about Terry. Um, yes. What, what do you mean, what are his politics? <laughs> okay, so... Like, how does, he, how does this 13-year-old child vote? Uh, no, no, no. Like, what are his views on the policy of Glasnost, right? Like, he's like, are, shouldn't we be... Are we worried about the countries gaining their independence and what kind of tough time they're going to be having? Okay, so Glasnost, right, is like the policy Gorbachev enacts at the end of his or like right at, at, at the time that the Western world is reading him as someone who's giving up the Soviet Union to the rest of the world, right? He's like, I'm, I, I want to extract myself from the Cold War. I will give up my claims on a certain kind of sovereignty in favor of some sort of diplomatic relations that will allow us to ease the tensions around, you know, mutually assured destruction or whatever the fuck. And he, but he's already losing Eastern Europe at the time, right? In the late 80s, he's like, okay, Perestroika, we're going to like open up the economy a little bit. We're going to like loosen restrictions on our collective farmers. And we're going to um, like introduce a kind of market essentially, which then is ultimately the thing that tanks the socialist market. Subtext, I'm a socialist. <laughs> but, but so he's already losing like Eastern Europe in the late 80s and this book is written in the 90s right and like the soviet union doesn't fully fall until like a year later and so like what what is this 13 year old kid like what are his views on the policy and glasnost right is the policy of like opening up um essentially the press right it's like Mm -hmm. let let the press be free let people write what they want to write and so this 13 year old is like well i don't know is free press gonna like jeopardize the situation of the countries that are trying to gain independence from the Soviet Union. It's like, what, what? So is he like a, he's like a Soviet nationalist or he's like a diehard communist or he's like a, no, everything that's an experiment in that entire region is fucked. And like, we should like America should just take over the whole thing. Like, I don't understand what his concern about the independent, the states gaining independence are specifically vis-a-vis Glasnost. Okay, that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> I like how angry this makes Emily, and I'm wondering if either of our guests have anything to say to her about it. I mean, yeah, I think those are all really great questions. I mean, I feel like it's it's uh, it is a notable a notable topic of conversation that comes up, and like, yeah, like what is the intention? behind um terry's terry's commentary i'm I'm so curious like if anna martin wrote this or did it did a ghostwriter write it like yeah it is it is fascinating great question (laughs) yes i think this is an Anne book there's nobody there's nobody thanked and it's dedicated to uh, it has a sad looking dedication it sounds like there were some children that died um, so I think this is hers and I think she like went on vacation in California to, to do it because Dawn on the coast was ghostwritten cause she'd never been there before. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm just like, okay, does Anna Martin like the Soviet Union? Does she not? Is she a Gorbachev fan? I'm just like, I'm confused about what we're supposed to learn 
about the Soviet Union? Or is it the case that Terry is just like a budding mansplainy, like, I know everything even though I don't know anything? And what is the pivot from Glasnost to the states trying to gain independence <laughs> to like the greenhouse, the greenhouse effect? <laughs> well, yeah, well that's... that seems like a 13 year old that just like heard about some worldly shit. And so it's yeah. just like, trying, like to trying to impress smart. Claudia. <laughs> yeah, I think. It's- I think it's headline stuff, right? Well, like, yeah. And I was also affairs. wondering, like, when he talked, like, if there was going to be a pivot in this book that, like, maybe Terry was also secretly, like, not super, like, quote unquote, smart and, like, into all these things and was just trying to impress her. But that didn't quite happen. I know. Oh, that would have been great. It would have been so good. And I think this passage, like, foreshadows that, but never, it never gets delivered on. Like, Claudia just gets. Or has to rather live in this world where she's like, oh, I tried to change myself and then I came around. But like, what the fuck? Terry probably also did the same shit. Like, come on. <laughs> right. Like, it turns out they both actually really like, like, what was it? Going to the movies or going to like. Or, or like Hollywood. Or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. who, what stars? Old Hollywood. Stars. They both like stars. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Another thing to ask Anna Martin when we meet her, right, Emily? I can't wait. Anna Martin, what are your thoughts on Gorbachev? Also, who the fuck are the Pikes? <laughs> These are my two <laughs> questions for Anna Martin. <laughs> Wait, what does what does Claudia ask Janine? I can't remember exactly. Oh, she's like, tell me about world affairs. Yeah, <laughs> right. And like something yeah. about the green something, and Janine's like, are you asking about green peace or the greenhouse effect? <laughs> right. Yeah, and then Janine's like, either way, it doesn't matter. Be yourself, which is the the whatever umpteenth time we learned that lesson in this book <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah. kind of a brilliant move to set claudia up with someone who reminds her of her sister so good she has those <sighs> so you know, good yeah it's complicated and then that conversation is so adorable though the whole thing that you brought up megan mm-hmm. is so lovely of you know claudia saying i know there are things going on in russia and in other countries and some wall came down and and janine just saying on vacation like, what are you doing? It's so but wait, good. also hadn't the wall hadn't come down yet. Interesting. When this was published, right? Accurate. I thought Hold no, on. the Soviet Union didn't break up, but didn't the wall come down in eighty nine? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. What year? When yeah. was this published? This is ninety. This is ninety. That would have been incredible if it. Like, I know. Like, Anna Martin <laughs> predicted it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm re evaluating the whole series so hard right now <laughs> what things were foreshadowed it's all oh, just man. Nostradamus hid- hidden in Stony Brook all right and there was so much pop culture in this book it was like a fire hose what are you what are you going to talk to us about well first I want to talk about how much money they had each I kind of want to do some <laughs> math here because I, well because Valerie goes broke on her like weird shopping spree for her makeover. Oh yeah. So speaking of, I know we're like getting on the other babysitters for getting mad at Mal, but if I was in Jesse's position, that's what I'm pissed about. That we're on date 3 of the trip and Mal spends all of her money and then assumes that Jesse will cover her for all these expensive things. Right. So, okay, so they have one $1,428.57 each. Which is what they say in the beginning of the book. In 1990, uh, that's so much money. That's yeah. so much money. I mean, really, it's less than that because I don't think they counted for like the taxes of winning the lottery. But whatever. <laughs> okay. So sure. I would say like it's still so much money. <laughs> it's a lot of money. So if they're like okay, their flight round trip is probably let's just say it's like four hundred dollars or something. Okay. 
I have no a, idea what a flight cost. In I know, but that was about like I buy round trip flights from New York to LA for like a hundred and fifty bucks. Okay. Oh wow! It wouldn't have been four hundred dollars in nineteen ninety, would it have? Well, I think flights were more expensive. I think also, they were more expensive. They were more then. expensive. Oh, okay. yeah. Interesting. So, let's say they have about a thousand dollars each now. Mm-hmm. So, like Mallory's like broke from her shopping spree, which meant did she have like six dollars left or something? Yeah. And that was like very early on in their trip. Mm-hmm. So, did she spend like hundreds of dollars? On makeup and like hair dye, I'm just confused why she has no money left. I think she did, and I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wish she would have bought some outfits too, though. You oh, know? true. I love that the solution that was that Stacy and Claudia bought the makeup. <laughs> yes. Well, I also love that like she ran out of money buying the makeup originally, but they have plenty of money left to like buy it back from her. <laughs> yeah, they're like, exactly. okay, we'll just buy what you don't want or we'll buy it off you <laughs> also there is no way that makeup made for mallory's irish ass face is gonna work on claudia's perfect complexion i'm just saying it doesn't seem like it's a trade that's gonna work out yeah it's a good call yeah that that doesn't fly um i th- that reminds me of the time i went to uh like in high school to a department store to get my makeup done i think it was for my brother's wedding or something and the woman at the counter made me up and I looked crazy. Like she had obviously <laughs> never seen an Asian person before. <laughs> and I looked insane. Anyway. So besides Mallory's like whatever, she spent like $800 on makeup, which I find, you know, go for it, Mal. Um, there's a ton of pop culture stuff here. Nothing I want to get too deep into. Um, but I would like to say this is like the 50th mention of Mary Poppins in the series. <laughs> And I Love Lucy. Don't forget and, I Love Lucy. And I Love Lucy. Like, I don't know how many times I can mention these two specific things, but we both we know that these are two of Anna Martin's favorite like movies and TV shows. Um, but what I'm very interested in is Jeff Schaefer's sudden interest in The Grateful Dead. Oh my God, amazing. Which is interesting because she doesn't, Anna Martin, you know, she doesn't really like call out real real musicians in the book. What, yeah. what was the band called in the super special one? The, like the insects? Oh, or, insect. oh, oh yeah. The is insects. that what it was called? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So she she does make up a lot of names for, for, for things, I feel, when it comes to pop culture. So I feel that um, the Grateful Dead is very specific. Like, why does she, like, out of all bands to choose from, why did she pick this band for Jeff, to associate with Jeff? I well, that's a really great point. I have a, a sort of unrelated thing I want to quickly mention. Um, I remember when I used to order the, these books from the like whatever when you they would have like a little order slip in the back of the book, so you could send them off and get new books. Mm-hmm. And I remember one that was called Stacy and the New Kids on the Block. Wait, and what? I ordered it. It was called Stacy and the New Kids on the Block. That is how that was the title. And when I ordered it, it came and it was like 
Stacy and something else. Like they changed oh, it. Oh, really? And it did not exist. So I just wanted to put that out there. That's that wild. Interesting. There was almost a Stacy and the New Kids on the Block. And I Hold was on. sure if anyone else would remember this, but I was like really excited for it in like third grade. Hang on. I feel like I need to Google this really quick. <laughs> well, that's really uh, funny because the first time we played 35 a- was supposed yes. to be called oh, 35. Shit. What did it yeah. end up being? Like? Mystery of Stony Brook. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I was we just so read excited. that one. Yeah. There's no new kids on the block in that one. No, that's a really interesting thing. I don't know why uh, it would even be called that. Wow. Yeah, but just interesting, just connected I, to like your point about like how usually the like pop culture sensations are fictional. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Grateful Dead, like I guess because they're in California, like there's like a hippie aspect maybe. But yeah, really strange. Oh, here it says around the time 32 to 34 were being published, 35 was advertised as having that name. However, the title and plot line changed due to potential confusion over the boy yeah. band of the same name, which had become very popular in the time from the planning of the book to the publication. <gasps> Wow. So it wasn't about the new book. No, it was supposed to be about foster children, and it was changed to a later book, Christy and the Worst Kid Ever. Wow. So that was not just like a Mandela effect experience that you had, Marissa. It was really true. (laughs) Was it just like a fever dream? Yeah. I love to read that as fan fiction. (laughs) Oh, my God. Every time we record an episode, I'm like, wait, can someone please write the fan fiction of the thing that I wish existed? (laughs) Yeah, I will never I wonder, do it. But I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, which which new kids do you think Stacy would be most into? I'm gonna say. I think Donnie. You think Donnie? I was thinking I think Donnie. Jordan. I was gonna say Joey. Like just, I think Joey's too. He's the baby faced one, so he's not sophisticated enough for her. Oh, I was I was true. switching between Jordan and Donnie, but I think Donnie because he's the bad boy. I think you're right. That's a good point. <laughs> mm. I like He's this game. Can we- getting in a car accident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good one. Interesting. Can we do all the babysitters now? <laughs> and which new no. kid they liked? <laughs> okay, fine, fine. How many new kids were there? Five? Only five. Okay, five. so that matches yeah. up pretty well. Yeah. yeah the junior the, sitters. With the, with the, new yeah. Kid. Well, obviously Marianne would be into Joey. Let's just. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty He's obvious. He's the Cam Geary of the band. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> anyway, so back to the Grateful Dead. Jeff is ten. Is that correct? Yes, he's ten years old. Okay. Wait, I have a question though. So when they go to Universal Studios, they ask for a volunteer who's a boy between five, six, and ten. Six and ten. So mm-hmm. if you're ten, you're between six and ten. Okay. Yes. I, I was surprised. I, I feel like Jeff he was eleven. Up- yeah. Before, and so it- then I was like, wait, is he nine? Like I was he's confused. The same by age that. as the triplets. Uh, he's he also, nine at the beginning of the series but then once they get to eighth grade he's 10 he also sort of gives off like older brother vibes for some reason mm-hmm. hmm. i don't know i think he's a very mature younger brother mm-hmm. so mature that he likes the grateful dead in fact though so, i don't know anyone when i was 10 years old who even knew who the grateful dead were did as me i mean you had well, some yeah older siblings, my older brother so, yeah. Yeah. yeah uncle alex <laughs> Was like yeah. right. he was. Was he like a proper deadhead? Did he follow them around? He, he was. He was. I, I don't know. I mean, he didn't do it for months at a time, but he did it for summers and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I try to do a little digging about just in the early '90s what the deadhead culture was, and I, you know, I found this, and it says um, the deadheads 
of the 1990s tended to be young white male and from middle class backgrounds. In short, they were drawn from much the same demographic base as most rock bands. And then it, it also said the band also tended to attract a large percentage of fans from high income families. That I was like, oh, that's like totally Jeff. Like, yeah, that is yeah. exactly who he is. Yeah. And so then among more digging, I didn't I don't know if you guys knew this, but there was like a lot of um, writing out there about how a lot of Grateful Dead fans are conservative, which I found interesting. Oh, it's so that's bizarre. surprising to me. I'm not surprised. Which, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, only because I feel like, I mean, I think the people I knew growing up whose parents were like big, whatever, like Grateful Dead fans, maybe were more conservative. Like, I feel like mm. kind of like, um, I don't know, like, like working class, like white um, mm. dudes. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, like the higher income tracks, but it tends to be like, we're like, folks who fancy themselves progressive but were like well i have money and i like mushrooms or whatever so like i'm gonna go see the grateful dead (laughs) but but that's now dead and co and of course homage to john mayer the the replacement Mm -hmm. for jerry garcia so (laughs) oh geez (laughs) yeah oh yeah oh my god well that takes me to i just i kind of look like like celebrities who like deadhead celebrities and John Mayer is one of them. Um, Bill Clinton, Al Gore, Will Arnett, Steve Jobs, Stephen King, Nancy all white Pelosi. Dudes. Yeah. Oh, Nancy it's like Pelosi. all white dudes and Pelosi. <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> but then He's also, basically a white dude. Yeah. yeah. But then also Tucker Carlson is a huge Grateful oh, Dead fan. Oh God. Ew. I saw and him in an airport once and I almost kicked him, but I didn't because I yeah, didn't I guess this book is called like Ship of Fools. Oh. oh um yeah and that's i found a bunch of reddit like that threads on him and being a deadhead and how he's been to like 70 shows wow what? yeah also and culture is a it's a deadhead too apparently and culture's a deadhead yeah wow so yeah like um apparently it's because i don't know there's a thing about like you know like individual freedom and kind of like that sort of thing that resonates. Um, oh, they're more oh. sneaky libertarians. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we find a lot of sneaky libertarians around Stony Brook, Megan, and Marissa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's like a, it's yeah, it's like some polls were like, yeah, they Grateful Dead index like evenly with conservatives. Wow. Versus yeah, liberals. Um, yeah. So yeah, who knew? So, like, what's going to come of? So, let's say Jeff continues on this trajectory of his life. What what will become of him? I think <sighs> he even didn't we like decide what Jeff would become. Didn't we say like he works at Google or something? No, I said <laughs> I said something really specific. This is based on someone I went to college with, which was Jeff becomes a professional skateboarder who like runs a book club over his Instagram account, where he talks a lot about how his mom and his sister were great influences on him. <laughs> that's right (laughs) that that tracks i think um another thing a couple random things i wanted to point out was i feel like dawn really shamed marianne for her sun protection okay 
She was like, she was like, yeah, she was like wearing like SPF 85 or something. And I'm like, well, she's just whatever. Good for her. Just don't get sunburned. Whatever. Who's laughing now, Dawn? Exactly. Who's laughing now? Dawn probably has a lot of sun damage. Probably has to go to the dermatologist yearly to get her moles checked. Um, I feel like they're all kind of mean to Marianne throughout this book. Like mm -hmm. they're like mad at her for like planning for having places she wants to go to like there's a lot of like marianne shaming happening in this book. oh yeah they like, they don't and this is where i relate to marianne like you know she doesn't have any chill about being a tourist she's like very excited to see the things that she wants to see and it's like not cool enough for the rest of the bsc right i mean i mean i feel like everyone needs a marianne because like i would appreciate an itinerary Right? I love it when someone else does their work for me. Yeah, we went to Europe for 10 weeks after we graduated from college, and I just took Anne places, and she was like, thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was great. So funny. Oh, I was just going to ask Megan and Marissa if there was anything else from the book that we have not touched on yet that was, like, totally gut-wrenching or important that we got to get to before we move to pizza toasts and other such things. I mean, we touched on, like, the asthma. I feel like mm. I was just, like, noticing that. I guess, like, you know, we've talked, um, like, there are some pieces in um, in our book that look at, like, Stacey's relationship with diabetes and kind mm. of how different disabilities are portrayed in the books. And I feel like reading that, reading, like, the stuff with Steffi and her asthma and, like, the hyper attention to her, to her illness, like was I don't know I guess it was like a good message ultimately that like they didn't have to worry about her but I d I felt weird like reading mm -hmm. it. like I think reading it as a kid like who did have asthma like it stressed me out reading yeah it. <laughs> I could totally see that yeah that's interesting we had the author Robin Benway on um who has type 1 diabetes and wrote a great piece about Stacy and her type 1 diabetes on and she said the same thing she like when she was a kid she didn't have it but her dad did and she would avoid the Stacy books because she didn't want to read about the diabetes and so it's this message for children that don't have mm -hmm. the disease or the disability to normalize it and understand it better but that it can be really hard for the people that do have it to read those parts yeah totally yeah I don't think I don't think I have anything more to add um, I think we've done a we've done a really great job um tackling this book i do want to go back to logan because mm. i feel like i maybe <laughs> uh did not represent my argument very well <laughs> uh because i think in my essay i was not really thinking about logan as a model like as a boyfriend mm. or as mm -hmm. you know um so much as that but just as like as a character who's really like at ease yeah mm -hmm. with himself and uh kind of just I don't know. Now I'm forgetting my point. I think that is so fair. And I, I think in, in part, that's like the one time I was like, no, Logan, Logan's a monster. Like the thing that intensifies my anger with him is that he's actually so at ease with himself and that like he'll come <laughs> around and be like, no, no, I didn't mean it that way. I'm so sorry. And uh, I've already decided I don't like him. So I'm like, no, that's a character flaw. But in actuality, I think you're right. That's like a <laughs> like it's not a stereotypically masculine right like response to something like that especially in the context of like being surrounded by all these like young girls and in, in in like kind of you know scare quotes abound like girl spaces and like yeah i mean now i'm like wow is my uh, maybe i'm being really unfair to logan 
Mm. <laughs> You've done an important job here today, Megan. <laughs> My favorite thing about Logan in this book is that he sends Marianne a postcard and draws a toilet on it. So good. Yeah, that's so funny. funny. <laughs> At the beginning of chapter 15, because he babysat Jenny Prezioso and she's going to have a new little sibling that she wants to name Yucky Toilet. Of course. So he draws a toilet. Yeah. Megan, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) That's all Logan needed to do to redeem himself was just draw a toilet. To me specifically. Yes. Oh, man, and Claudia that. didn't really eat anything good in this book other than like a giant turkey leg at medieval times, right? Yeah, there's no candy in this book because she was, you know, in California. And oh, right. no one in California eats candy. Yeah, That's correct. All, yes. all the time. Yes, <laughs> no candy. Um, not a lot of tallies in this book either. Usually the super specials don't do a ton of describing of the sitters. So we get one almond-shaped eyes, one sophisticated, and one individual. But that's it. Mm. It was so tragic when she put on like a Laura Ashley dress or whatever. Oh, I know. I know. I know. So sad. Be yourself. <laughs> what did she say? She said she looked like a little kid or a grandma. Or yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I think she said she looked nine specifically. Was that the age mm-hmm. she picked? Yeah, nine sounds yeah. right. <laughs> oh my God. It's a good Laura Ashley age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so weirdest line. Um, my weirdest line is actually a Mary Ann quote where I actually I, I would like people's opinion on this also, where okay. she says, I can't ride boys bikes, parentheses. This is true. <laughs> what? That was what? weird. <laughs> also, like, first, weird, you can't ride boys bikes, but also why is there a parenthetical? This is true. <laughs> Because she's trying to discourage the child with asthma from like leaving doing her anything. Home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she wants us as the readers to know that she's not just outright lying to Steffi to stop the bike riding activity. Oh, see, I totally right. read that differently. Like <laughs> I thought like- she meant like no, I thought she just was like, "This is true." Like I can't ride boys' bikes, but she was just doubling down on the assertion that she can't. Yes. Ride a- <laughs> yes. Uh, but my big thing is like, what's a boy's bike? <laughs> it has the straight crossbar instead of the two bars going down. So there's so you have to like step, yeah, step over, over it higher. Sure. And it can hurt your vulva. Ah, uh, okay. Uh-huh. I mean, but I, what? It doesn't hurt your vulva. <laughs> it's nonsense. <laughs> I'm not defending it. I'm just what defining if it. It's like, I can't ride boy's bikes. It might because hurt my vulva. My vulva. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that's what the parenthetical needed to be. It hurts my vulva. Oh my <laughs> See, that would make more sense to me. As a kid, I was always so confused why that was a boy's bike because you know it seems like it would be more painful if you had a penis for a crossbar to be there than if you didn't. I didn't know why. But like, who's sitting on the crossbar it. is the thing that I don't understand. <laughs> but if you fall, I guess I don't know. The whole thing well, is silly. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You don't want that bar high if you're a guy because that could hurt your testicles. I think if you're going to if the if the hypothetical is that this is bad if we're falling, like nobody wants a high bar if you're falling <laughs> off of right. the bike. High bar like, to the crotch, regardless of what you yeah, have there. Not comfy. Aside, yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. It all hurts. Like what? What? <laughs> oh, you know what it is? It's it's a woman's bike because you, so you can wear a dress. That's oh, what it is. God. 
No. So it hangs. So it hangs better. Yeah, like they all over. have to do. Blech. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyway, gender fun and Anne's favorite line. My favorite line was the made-up name of the Italian film that Claudia yes. and Terry saw. I wrote that one down too. <laughs> Tantarina de Buono Godo, which I attempted to Google transri- translate. And Tantarina and De do not mean anything in Italian, but uh, Buono Godo is roughly I enjoy good. Amazing. <laughs> That's good. Megan, did you have a favorite line? I No, I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all fine. Now. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, totally. And what about you? I also wrote down the Italian film. That was okay. the only one I wrote down weirdly. <laughs> I forgot about it, frankly. Uh, Megan and Marissa, I often forget about the things that we're supposed to do in advance. I'm not very good at homework. Unlike the things that she Megan. created for us to do. P.S. Yes, like. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very good at assigning homework and not so good at completing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked the um the line about the dibbly fresh pillow fight. Pillow fight. Mm. The dibbly fresh pillow fight. Yes. It was like I threw a pillow at Marianne, which started a Dibbly Fresh pillow fight. Like, I know that they say Dibbly, but I feel like I don't really remember it that often coming up. And I like that there was a point in this book where they, like, describe their words. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're we, just getting to that in the series. It started about two books ago, and they're telling us about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. We just read the book where they define Dibbly, which is short for incredible. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Blew our minds, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am all for naming this episode Dibley Fresh Pillow Fight, personally. Yeah. I think that, yeah. that captures the spirit of what the five of us have been trying to do for the last hour plus. Yeah, it's a better than Fresh I... Pillow Fight. Yeah. yeah. It's better than I can't ride boys' bikes. Yeah. Yep. Sure. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> okay. Well, Marissa and Megan, thank you so much for joining our show. Um, is there anything you would like to add where people can find you on social media perhaps um yeah sure, yeah my social media handle is my name backwards so it's slim nagum amazing <laughs> um and uh we've got some events coming up next week Ooh, um, that your listeners might be interested in um that you that we're posting about on our social media yeah do you want to plug the events Sure. Um, so then, yeah, so we've got an event on Friday, um, which will be the next day, July 9th at Green Apple Books hosted. It's a virtual event hosted by Green Apple Books featuring um, Miriam Gerba, Ooh. Gabby Moss. Who else, Marissa? Um, yeah, Fra- uh, Frankie Thomas. I'm just pulling it up. So Miriam Gerba, Frankie Thomas, Gabrielle Moss, Shante Griffin, Sue Ding, and Shabon Gallagher. So pretty awesome. Fantastic. Lineup. Um, and it's at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern. My local yeah. friends, Green Apple, right across the bay from me. That's fantastic. Nice. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, yeah, my you can find me on social media. My Instagram is Marissa with one S underscore Crawford. Um, and yeah, find us and we'll be posting more about events and any other exciting stuff that comes up about the book. Great. And the book has just come out two days ago, everybody. So go buy it right now. Go to your local bookstore. You can also order it. We are the Babysitter's Club on our bookshop. So bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Yay. 
Congrats, you guys. Thanks so, so much. Excited yeah, congrats again. It's yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. It's very fun. Yeah. Okay, we have to close <laughs> this episode by doing a pizza toast. So what should we pizza toast to from this book, from our discussion, things we haven't gotten to yet? Um, sincere, sarcastic, the whole... Any anything is possible. Or like that's sincere and sarcastic were my two poles for <laughs> possibility. <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't have to be either of those. No. I'd, I'd like to toast to the concept of a California girl. That is <laughs> that's good. excellent. Can you say a little bit more about that, Marissa? I mean, I guess this book had me thinking about it. Like, what is a California girl? Um, you know, Mallory's obsessed with the fact that, quote, everyone is blonde in California, which mm-hmm. is very not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just like, what what does it mean um, in this book? What does it mean in general? And yeah, just a lot to unpack. <laughs> Should we toast that's a fantastic. California girl? Megan, is that okay with you? Or do you have another? Uh, uh, no, that's great. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so a pizza toast to the concept of California girl. <laughs> to California girls. Oh, sorry. That's where I come in and write. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Yay! Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.